Rob, much has happened in the last six days. Uh, we have a new winner of the Giro d'Italia. Yeah, big surprise winner. I think coming into this Giro, not many people saw it coming, but yeah, indeed, it was uh, going into this final week. Everyone was saying Richard Carapaz, big favourite to take it home, but it was his uh, nearest rival, Jai Hindley, who managed to edge it. Jai Hindley, the first Australian to win the Giro d'Italia. Um, if you look back now, uh, Rob, would you say uh, he, he was the rightful winner? Would you say that? Uh, I'd say so. Watching the uh, the penultimate stage, I think it's hard to argue who was the stronger climber that day. And ultimately, you know, it's up to it's not just up to Giant Carapaz; it's up to um, their team as well. And yeah, maybe in the earlier stages of this Grand Tour, Carapaz was stronger and could have taken time over Hindley, but you know, he didn't do it, and uh, they let it come down to the final week. And Hindley looked like the stronger rider, to be honest. And yeah, I'd say the rightful winner of this Giro. It looks like it was a two-horse race right to the end, but there was also Mikel Landa who was up there. He got his first uh, podium in about nine years. Was it nine years? Oh, I don't know. Is it nine? No, didn't he? Yeah, mate. Yeah, it could be nine years. He was very close in the... Uh... Giro Carapaz won, but yeah, I think, yeah, nine years sounds about right, yeah. And Nibidi uh, running out fourth space, uh, fourth spot, rather. Um, and that's probably the best he'll do for a long time, I imagine, before he ends up retiring. Yeah, I think he's announced this as his final year and, uh, yeah, hence fourth, his final Giro and maybe another Grand Tour in him. But yeah, fourth, fourth place, albeit about 10 minutes down, a lot better than... I think just about anyone, including Nibley, was expecting going into this Grand Tour. So, yeah, a great uh, swan song for a, for a legend of the Giro, for sure. Yeah, so we were on back on the last rest day. Stage 15 had to be completed. Uh, so let's just roll it back a sec. Let's go back to stage 16, a super hilly one. Uh, nothing massive, but definitely a hilly one. And uh, a great win, a great win for Intermarche. Yeah, again, Intermarche, big fans of them here on this uh, <laughs> on this podcast. But yeah, Jan Hurt taking taking a stunning win, uh, an all-star breakaway, including Alejandro Valverde and uh, the young talent, Tyron Aronsman, who's uh, apparently fought over by Jumbo Visma and uh, Team Ineos for a for his, uh, place on their roster next year. But um, yeah, final climb, Jan Hurt waiting until the steep section and then just bringing them back and really just looking like a real class rider. We've seen him earlier on in the year looking good in some mid Middle Eastern races and, yeah, carrying that form through to the Giro to take a really uh, a really big win against um, against great competition in the breakaway. And bag some extra points for his team in the promotion-relegation battle. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, like, at first into Marche, they're looking like their team who's probably going to be a... Uh, because of that promotion relegation thing, probably going to be racing uh, below World Tour next year, but um, they're actually quite far clear now, I believe, um, and real real solid solid shouts for the World Tour next year, and yeah, justified because they've been getting fantastic results throughout their team. Uh, so a breakaway win is probably worth mentioning. Hindley grabbed a few seconds off of Carapaz uh, on the sprint uh, behind the breakaway, uh, that probably uh, added some impetus to his uh, later attack, just letting Carapaz know he's there, you know? Yeah, I think Hindley, like Carapaz, 
given how well he climbs, he's got a great sprint on him. But Hindley, Hindley's really got a punch on him. And I think we've repeatedly seen before stage 16, Hindley was the, the quicker in the sprint. We saw it on the first uh, key mountain stage that Jai Hindley won. He's, uh, he's really got a punch even when super fatigued. And yeah, he did it to Carapaz again and just building up those bonus seconds over him. So yeah. Great, great, great stuff for Intermarche there. So stage 17 up in the mountains. Uh, you could, uh, as you mentioned last podcast, actually, it uh, it favoured the South Americans and uh, we had a South American winner. Of course, not Carapaz, but um, it was a young, another young Colombian. Uh, well, Carapaz is from Ecuador, of course, but uh, a great win by Santiago uh, Betrago from uh, Colombia. Perhaps the youngest Colombian to win uh, in the Giro d'Italia, a stage in the Giro d'Italia as well. Potentially, I'm not too sure on the stats there, but yeah, yeah, a real, real young guy and another 22-year-old behind him in a, another Dutch super talent, Gay Slamerizer. Um, Vitrago is a, a stage, stage really a- animated by Matthew van der Poel uh, and hacking on the uh, descent into the final climb, big breakaway away. Van der Poel clearly not one of the strongest climbers in this race, but him and uh, Lamarizer, who also looked like a fantastic descender, getting a real advantage on the rest of the break. And uh, yeah, I think they put about a minute into them in that descent. And then going up that last climb, Van der Poel looking like he had the measure of Lamarizer before fully cracking the group behind on the penultimate, on the final climb. You had Hugh Carthy chasing Jan Hurt with them as well. But it was uh, Santiago Bichargo who was able to bridge over and uh, another super, super dominant display from this young man. And uh, yeah, I think another real star who's uh, cemented that in this Giro. Yeah, and uh, COVID might be going away, but um, it seems like uh, it's still sticking around for the UAE team. You had Yao Almeida uh, leaving the tour at that stage uh, due to COVID. He was fourth at the time. He was losing time, but he was doing pretty well. He was holding the white jersey as well, um, but unfortunately he had to leave. Yeah, real, real shame for UAE and kind of, you know, blunts, blunts the excitement in the GC race even further. Sadly, you know, it's kind of been throughout this grand tour, I'd say very passive uh, general riding from the general classification contenders. And, you know, we saw Bardet, Bardet go out um, due to stomach yeah. issues and now sadly losing another, another guy who was maybe expected to be on the podium or at least challenged for the podium. Yeah, sadly going out to illness. And yeah, another blow blow for the uh, spectacle, which is the GC. But yeah, sadly, sadly, uh, yeah, COVID will be around for a while. And this is one of the things that is going to keep affecting. On to stage 18, a flat stage, the last one for the sprinters, or perhaps not as... Uh... Debon, uh, as Debon and his team showed, you know. No, I think you're uh, you. You probably wouldn't want to be on the uh, in on the bus with Mark Cavendish after this stage. You know, for all the sprinters who've made it over the mountains, a lot of them did it just for this final sprint stage. And you know, there really is nothing else for them in the last week other than Ferrano Demar, who's going to uh, be picking up the sprints jersey uh, at the end of stage 21 and. Yeah, you know, a lot of sprinters, Gaviria as well, Consani, Albanese, uh, Dainese, 
dragging themselves through this Grand Tour just to just to have a chance at this stage race and stage in the race. And um, yeah, sadly, a, a super strong breakaway holding them off and riding it very intelligently as well. Up until very recently, Rob, probably the last couple of years, breakaways were always doomed. But we're seeing, uh, I wouldn't say half of the stages, but a, a fair few chunk of them being won by the breakaway. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think it's just um, grand. I think I think the teams. I think I think the 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 strength in depth of the pelotons being going up. I think that's commonly said by pros now. Like everyone's strong, everyone's training very well, and you know the difference between riders is certainly less. And so, so you know the GC guys can't just leave a ten minute gap go and then easily bring it back. And uh, everyone's fighting for these stage wins so hard that um, they kind of have to let this break go. In the sprint stage, I think this one was done very cleverly. The uh, the breakaway that got away. Uh, road quite easy to start with because they essentially know um the bunch don't want to catch them and that's kind of counterintuitive they wanted to ride slow but because it would save them energy they didn't want the bunch to catch them because the bunch and the bunch didn't want to catch them because if they were caught then there's another 30 40 kilometers of fighting to get away into another breakaway and that just causes absolute chaos for all the uh, sprint teams who have to manage who goes in that break. And what this group did, they just rode super slow. Well, not super slow, but kind of slower than expected. And then as it got closer and closer to the end, they pushed on on the hills, making sure they had a bigger gap over the sprinters and sprint teams in the peloton. And then, yeah, just four super units just drilled it all the way to the finish and maintained that gap. So clever riding is uh, in this instant why this uh, breakaway stayed away. Yeah, and they definitely worked together very well, as you mentioned, and Dries de Pont delivered at the end. But you did see uh, Etics, sorry, Quickstep pushing a lot at the time, and it just wasn't to be. Um, it's interesting. I was listening to Josh Portner uh, from Silka. He was saying that perhaps one of the reasons is the fact that so much, um, so many teams rather are paying attention to aerodynamics, whereby there weren't previously and the equipment they're using, the bikes, the clothing, and all the rest of it is far greater than it ever was. So it suits the breakaway as opposed to the bunch, which are limited, yeah, for sure. you know? Yeah, for sure. That's definitely another big reason why it's easier for these breakaways to stay away is, uh, yeah, the, the difference of being in the wheels and, and in the wind is definitely reducing. So, yeah, definitely a, a key point there. And some extra points there for Alps and Phoenix. And then on to stage 19, then back to the mountains. Yeah, back to the mountains. And uh, like, you know, some teams are going to be getting desperate for a stage when at this point in the Giro, you know, every team wants to come away with something to, to please the sponsors, you know, always short-term sponsorship contracts, teams with much instability and, you know, I really expected to see a big fight uh, for people to get in this breakaway, but, you know, kind of, in my opinion, quite a, not not a great breakaway getting in. No real star star climbers in this one, to be honest. And, uh, yeah, I think Cohen Bauman, who was in the mountains jersey um, going into the stage, must have, couldn't believe his luck he'd been allowed with um, so, so few challenges around him. And, yeah, going going away with this group and the group holding their advantage, being given an awful lot of rope by the uh, GC 
group and yeah, took it, took it for the win. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. We saw massive pulls, I believe. Um, I think it was, yeah, from Davide Ballerini to help keep this group away. Um, Mara Schmidt, I believe. I think this was the stage where there was a lot of pulling to really fight to keep this break away. But yeah, they managed to do it. And uh, yeah, real strong stuff. There's probably a few DSs scratching their head now. Um, if you saw the end, the sprint for the line, you saw two riders come off course almost. And yeah, missed this a is sharp left hander. <laughs> yeah, some real sharp, they had dodgy corners at the end. And yeah, you thought the uh, the group would all be split up on that final climb, but they're very much all together. And uh, yeah, some uh, dodgy, dodgy, potentially a cut up by Karen Bauman on Mauro Schmidt, but. Yeah, it kind of kind of caused a bit of chaos and this a semi a semi crash. Um, but yeah, he crossed the line first. Probably probably the strongest sprinter in that group anyway. And yeah, definitely a day where a good DS um can really make their money because that, that finale was real tricky. So yeah. Richie Port 50, 60 kilometers in off the back, and uh, he ended up leaving the tour due to illness. Um, but that's that might play into Jai Hindley's hands later on, you know, uh, the fact that the team, uh, Ineos team is thinning. Uh, they're obviously previously well known for having awesome domestiques and obviously Richard Port second or third in the tour um, only last year, was it the year before? Uh, third in the tour, yeah, year, year before last, yeah, I believe. And yeah, the fact that they've got him as a domestique now is... Uh, just absolutely mental yeah. yeah absolutely and um yeah, yeah. Uh, he's just thinning out the the team uh, and obviously that sets us up for stage 20 whereby carapaz cracks yeah unbelievable we thought we we're 3k to go of uh of the road stage stages of this Giro, but we were, we were going to see no no uh, no real difference between these two carapaz and hindley but Ineos taking it up. Um, I think it was Pavel Sivakov putting in a massive turn yeah. to essentially break break everyone else outside those top three on the podium away. And uh, yeah, Carapaz looking looking really on the limit, whilst we had uh, Hindley looking good. Those two bridged up to um, Leonard Kamner, a teammate of. Uh, Guy Hindley, who'd been in the breakaway. Kamler they played that back. really well, don't you think? They played it fantastically, and I think they've been trying to do it, do it, do it all all tour, to be honest. They'd, yeah, Kamner repeatedly up the road with Hindley potentially being able to bridge up, and this is the time it worked. And I think uh yeah, Kamner potentially having a big part to play in them winning this uh grand tour. So a lot, a lot to thank for for them, but yeah. Fantastic move by Bora Hansgrohe and, yeah, great effort from the team all around. Absolutely. And it's interesting, They uh, Carapaz initially dropped Lander uh, on the first attack, but then uh, Lander ended up beating him, uh, clawing back some time. Not enough, but uh, Carapaz really cracked that day. Yeah, I think it was, you know, Carapaz goes into this grand tour and I think, to be honest for him, anything but the win is a disappointment and going into this final stage anything but the win is a disappointment and you know he had to he had to hold on to Hindley the whole way up if Hindley puts uh I think more than 20 seconds into him it's 
is uh, very likely Guy Hindley wins this Giro and you know Carapaz I think he I think he went to total oblivion fully killed himself before he let that wheel go which arguably is the move you have to make because um, once, once Hindley's seen you're gone and you're weak and you can't hold his wheel anymore he's he's just going to apply more pressure and really edge out that gap and sadly that's what he did for Carapaz and yeah Carapaz ultimately dying a death and Going back, riders such as Hugh Carthy, Lander coming past him. and Nobody passed him as well, yeah. Yeah, so brutal times for the man. But yeah, a real fighting effort, but sadly not to be. And a massive, massive gap Jai Hindley puts into him in the final two kilometres almost. Well, yeah. A minute oh. 20, exact, yeah. Yeah, crazy. So great ride, great ride from Hindley and horrible crack from Carapaz. But yeah, such is sport. It's, it's worth mentioning Alessandro Covey, uh, stage winner of the day. Yeah, great, another great young talent, this time an Italian talent, second on a stage last year to Mauro Schmidt. And yeah, definitely, I don't think would have been seen as a favourite for this stage, expected to be won by a GC, GC guy. Um, but yeah, breaking away, a lot of infighting from the rest of the break behind him and kept giving him a gap. But ultimately, Covey just too strong and away solo for, for about 50 kilometres to the end and great ride for him taking the team the copy which is the prize for the for crossing the highest part well the team of copy is the highest point in the race so he got to that first and then also taking the stage win on the queen stage so great stuff from the young man um he'll be very happy with his season so far i'm sure absolutely stage 20 in 2020 uh, Covid Giro Jai Hindi was wearing pink after stage 20. He was up against uh, Teo Gegenhart. He had less than a second on him and uh, it was going into the final stage. Another time trial and that time mm-hmm. Teo came out on top. However, uh, this year uh, Jai Hindi's got what a minute 25. He's pretty much got it in the bag. He just needs to get around stage 21 without crashing basically and that's what he did. And he comes out on top. Comes out on top indeed. I think, yeah, heartbreak from losing that previous Giro on that last stage. But I think it was expected Teo would be able to overhaul him in the end on that stage. But yeah, proper proper deja vu for Jai. Um, but yeah, ultimately holding on to it. Putting in quite a good time trial for him, actually. Losing very little to Carapaz on that final stage, that final time trial. And yeah bringing it home for a 15th on the day whilst Carapaz was 10th, but Carapaz only taking about 10 seconds out of them, I believe. Oh, no, not even that. Uh, I think so, it was very, very similar. Yeah, yeah, similar to him, if, if anything at all, yeah. So, yeah. Would have been uh, nail-biting to watch if uh, Hindi hadn't cracked him the stage before, if they'd gone into it three seconds separate, you know. If Absolutely. Jiro's only won by five seconds, but, yeah, luckily for Jai Hindi... Uh, he cracks in the day before, so yeah. Uh, worth worth my, mentioning the winner, uh, Matteo Sobrero, Italian national champ. First win outside of Italy, if I'm not mistaken. And he absolutely romped it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I think we were still in Italy, but yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. Out of like, yeah. uh, in, Italian domestic. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, no, and yeah, great ride from Sobrero keeping real quiet throughout this grand tour apart from when he was in the time trial third in the first time trial i believe and saving in his set saving as much energy as he can 
Matthew Vanderpoel, I believe, starting starting as favourite um, for this um, race, but ultimately, I think burning so many matches in the days prior to this time trial, he'd have gone into it a lot more fatigued than Sobrero, who uh, makes it two from two for a team bike exchange out of these Giro time trials. So, you know, if you're looking looking for a fast time trial bike, probably going to be the giant Trinity. That's the fastest out there if we're looking at the results from this Giro. So, yeah, great, great stuff to see from Team Bike Exchange, who I think their uh, bike sponsor, Giant, will be very happy, happy with them for that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, But it's fascinating, Rob. Maybe six months ago, we would never, ever talk about Van der Poel being favourite for a time trial. But uh, there you have it. You mentioned him being favourite and he actually came out third, which isn't far off the top. And uh, yeah, he's uh, he's quite the time trialer if he puts his mind to it and focuses, I guess, you know, without killing himself prior. <laughs> For sure, yeah. And I'm sure, I imagine he'll probably, I believe he's he's down to go to the Tour de France in that first stage this year will be, be a short time trial, which I think could suit him also. So I think maybe he'll have his eyes set on that, that as well. That'll be another time trial he'll potentially start as that a favorite maybe one of the top 10 favorites but i'm sure he'll be gunning gunning for a good results in the uh, tour de france first stage time trial in uh, copenhagen so uh, that ra- wraps up the giro uh, jaihindi first carapaz second lander third uh, nibali far off fourth and the rest of it uh, they were too far to call really um, <laughs> what, what's up next Next up, so yeah, uh, not long, less than a week now until we see the start of the Dauphiné um, as a, or, and Tour de Swiss. They're coming up very soon. Those two, the real tune-up races for the Tour de France, um, which will be starting soon. The month of June, generally quite uh, limited in the racing you see as everyone's prepping for the Tour. And uh, these pre-Tour races, the races before the Tour, give us a good indication of where everyone's at and... Uh, Hopefully we see lots of strong performances making uh, leading up to a nail-biter uh, for the Tour throughout July. So, yeah. On the weekend, uh, Rob, it's probably not part of this podcast, but it's probably worth mentioning. You've got Sagan going there. You have the Unbound Gravel Race out in America, in Kansas. Uh, perhaps the biggest gravel race in the world. And like I said, it's attracting some of the biggest stars in cycling in the World Tour. Uh, why do you think people like Sagan? Uh, you also had, uh, I've lost the name, uh, the Rafa rider. Sorry, not the Rafa rider, the etic, uh, EF education rider, uh, Lachlan Morton. Morton that's yeah, it. yeah, he he heads over. Wow. You've also got plenty of uh, Nathan Haas and a few others who ex pros and whatnot racing. What, what What's their attraction? Oh, I think the attraction, um, well, yeah kind of exactly what it is it's just it's just publicity you know Peter Sagan has kind of been on a quite a week a week year so far by his standards and you know for specialized uh, the bike sponsor for him if he's right there any footage of him riding on a specialized gravel bike and him just generally getting exposure for the team's great publicity for them you know gravel gravel racing and gravel riding is a real growing sport and so so you know the publicity's there these races getting a lot of attention now and as always a great marketing strategy for these big brands that can profit from it 
Sagan as well, I think, will probably just be looking for a change, mental refresh. He uh, he needs to find his motivation again somewhere, and hopefully this race will give him that as he prepares, I presume, for a start in the Tour. And, um, yeah, I think that's why we see it, and these World Tour riders can get some good money out of it, I think. I think Lachlan Morton, you know, he's, he's a World Tour rider, although... Not not a top guy, but the publicity he gets by doing events like this is uh, is massive. So yeah, uh, the name escapes me right now. But I, I read an article only two days ago whereby uh, an ex Yumbo Visma rider who actually did really well for himself. He had a few few wins, had a few uh, podiums on stage races. Uh, obviously not over. Uh, the Grand Tour itself, but just on the stage. And basically what he was saying, he was eventually released and uh, he was 21 at the time. He was earning 65,000 euros. And uh, he said uh, he came out and he decided to go as a privateer. So just racing by himself, uh, these gravel events, etc. And uh, he said he managed to earn himself more than 100k uh, by going private as opposed to sticking to the World Tour. He said it's a it's a lot of work, uh, different kind of work. Um, you got to market yourself and whatnot, but there seems to be a lot of money in going private as opposed to sticking to the world tour. Yeah, sure. I, I'm not sure who that rider is either. Oh, I can't yeah. remember the name. I'll, I'll, I'll dig it out at some point for sure. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah financially, if that's a better option for them. It's not Ian Boswell, was it? No, no, no. It was a young rider. He's 23 now. Young guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm yeah. not sure. Um, but yeah, he's rubbing no. shoulders with some of the greatest riders out in America on these gravel events. So he's getting top tens. Uh, I, I would definitely seek him out. But there's a lot of money. I, I think only in America, though. Yeah, yeah, it's not a scene I follow massively, but you know, it's getting really growing, especially in America. And you know, if guys are finding that more financially viable, um, then yeah, great, go for it. And uh, yeah, I think obviously a lot of it is marketing yourself. You're probably yeah. not going to get the exposure you get on GCN if you're winning the tour. But you know, for a lot of those riders who are going to gravel, the you know, winning the tours never, never realistic for them anyway. So, so yeah, if they can go there, probably as a privateer, I think there'd probably be less pressure on you. You know, the world tour can be quite a nasty place. A lot of pressure on these young guys to perform and you know, you can get cut very easily. So, so yeah, hopefully it's uh, more relaxed for them as well, more enjoyable and uh, less of a less of a pressure cooker for them too. You have Unbound Gravel attracting a three-time world champion. You have the likes of Cyclocross attracting world champions as well, mountain bike doing the same. When do you think it will become seamless for riders and the world tour to go and try different things? Because right now, I guess Lackland in many ways, started the trend, um, but it's still a taboo. When do you think it will become seamless, if at all? It's definitely definitely moving there quite quickly. I think Lackland's challenges are quite different. Is um, like doing doing the tour route on, on his own races and all sorts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't like that that sort of stuff. I, I don't think should ever will ever become come too complex. Base, I think I think that's just a low-level uh, world tour rider kind of getting very good publicity for his team. I, d- I didn't see half the world tour starting doing stuff like that. But you know, mountain bike and cross, we're seeing a lot a lot more riders uh, mixing up with both. A lot of young female riders as well doing 
road MTB across a lot of the youngest female stars in sport, mixing up road cross and MTB. Um, but yeah, I think you've got Vanderpol, Banar, Pidcock recently winning two MTB World Cups as well. And mm-hmm. it seems that those coaches, their coaches have figured out how those three riders can move seamlessly between uh, disciplines. So yeah, I think you will only see more and more of it, to be honest. Fantastic discussion, Rob. Um, but we'll wrap it up and uh, we'll speak very soon uh, at the next event, uh, Dauphiné, I guess. Yeah, yeah, Dauphiné. Always the big tune-up race to see and uh, hopefully we see Roglic on form uh, or, or at least someone other than Pogacar on form because at the moment I think he's seen as being expected to really romp away with it. So we'll see what the Dauphiné throws up for sure. We'll see, we'll see. Take care, Rob. All right, see you.